Hello, my name is Dr. Paul Wheatley-Price. I'm a medical oncologist at the Ottawa Hospital and immediate past president of Lung Cancer Canada. Welcome to our podcast series called Lung Cancer Voices. In this series, I'll be interviewing patients, caregivers, healthcare professionals, and some of the leading lung cancer researchers in the country and indeed in the world to highlight important and relevant issues facing those affected by lung cancer. Enjoy the podcast. Welcome to this episode of Lung Cancer Voices, and um, I'm glad you've joined us. Hope you enjoy this podcast where I'm talking with Filomena Savidio Italiano. And Filomena is a caregiver for her uncle. And so we're going to hear from Filomena about her uncle's story. And then we're also going to hear about her role as a caregiver and an advocate for her family. And then at the end, hopefully Philomena will be able to share with you some pearls of wisdom about being an effective uh, caregiver advocate. So welcome Philomena to the Lung Cancer Voices podcast. Well, thank you very much Paul for having me today. I'm delighted to be here today. Now, there is gonna be a surprise in a minute about your job and how that's giving you particular insight and skill sets to help your uncle, but your uncle's the person at the center of the story here. So maybe you could start Philomena by sort of introducing us virtually to your uncle. Well, it would be my pleasure. So my uncle's name is Sergio Servidio. He is a lovely man. He is my father's youngest brother. He was born in Italy. And at the young age of, I believe, 11, he came from the southern part of Italy to Canada, along with the rest of his six brothers and sisters. And he grew up here to become a wonderful, loving member of his Italian family. He went to high school. He actually went to uh, elementary school and then he went to high school and he was one of those guys who would give you the shirt off his back. He was caring. I am his eldest niece. So naturally, I'm his favorite niece. <laughs> Just goes without saying. We were very close. Yeah, we were very, very close. We actually lived in the same house when we were growing up. And he has a heart of gold. There isn't anything he wouldn't do for you. He worked for the TTC for his entire life until he retired. And he took really, really good care of my aging grandparents. We um, lived next door to each other once um, we all went our separate ways at a certain point. Just a really good guy. And... Um, he now has lung cancer and we, we're going to come on to how his lung cancer was diagnosed in a, in a second and, and your, your role in that. But maybe we'd better let the cat out of the bag here and you'd better tell us what your job is, Philomena, and how maybe that's given you particular abilities to help him. Yeah. So back in May of 2006, my dad was diagnosed with widespread metastatic cancer. 
to which he succumbed to very, very quickly, less than three months. One month post his passing in August of 2006, I started up the Colorectal Cancer Resource and Action Network. And this has now been around for quite some time. Today, I am proudly and humbly the president and the CEO of the Colorectal Cancer Resource and Action Network, which is a patient-focused organization that champions the health and the well-being of Canadians touched by colorectal cancer and others at risk of developing the disease. I am so, so thrilled to be able to do this good work for Canadians. So that story has landed you sort of front and centre in a life of advising patients and family members on how to navigate colorectal cancer but let's just say cancer for now so this then put you in a position of being able to help you navigate your with your family and you started that that process with your uncle before he had lung cancer that is correct because one of the promises i made my dad was that I would take care of his youngest siblings, all of his family actually, and I intended to keep that promise. And so two years before my uncle was diagnosed, yeah, for a good couple of years prior to his diagnosis, I had been encouraging him to undergo screening for lung cancer through the pilot program in Ontario, knowing that my uncle had been a, a really heavy smoker for most of his life. And there's definitely a family history of cancer. So I thought the screening would be in his best interest. So in the fall of 2019, at the age of 64 years, my uncle shared this with his primary care physician who ordered an x-ray and found something. And then subsequent to that, he ordered a CT scan and something was identified in his left lung. So he was referred to one of the hospitals and the story started for my uncle in terms right. of lung cancer. So I should just put a plug in for lung cancer screening and this, and for, for a number of years now, Lung Cancer Canada's number one sort of advocacy ask at uh, government level, federal, provincial, veterans affairs has been for implementation of lung cancer screening. So we now have a program in Ontario. It's not as widely available yet as we would like, but it's being expanded. Uh, there's a program in British Columbia. Uh, Nova Scotia has announced a program. Quebec has a pilot. And the Prairie provinces are progressing. So it's not available yet for all Canadians, but we are certainly on the way. I feel like we've, we've just about sort of reached the tipping point now where it's going to be easier for the remaining provinces to implement than be an outlier on this issue. So that's good. That's, I mean, slow, but good news. So, well, but let's get back to, to so your role here was you were introducing and encouraging your uncle to be screened. And so I guess for people listening, if you have family members uh, who you think might be at risk of lung cancer, look to see if they're eligible for screening. And the, the rough criteria are age between 50 and 74 
and have been exposed to tobacco in, in, in their lifetime. So being generally being cigarette smokers, they don't have to still be cigarette smokers, but look to see if they would meet the, meet the eligibility. So your uncle goes through this uh, Philomena and he's diagnosed with lung cancer. And the idea of the idea of screening is to diagnose lung cancer when it's at still at an early stage before it spreads. Was that the case? That was absolutely the case. And we were delighted to learn that he qualified for surgical resection of his left lung because there had been apparently no spread of the disease. So he was scheduled for lung surgery in February of 2020, just before the pandemic hit. And I joined every one of his medical appointments to ensure that he was well-informed, grasping the content, able to make informed decisions, and I was actually there on the day of the surgery, knowing that he would be nervous, you know, apprehensive. And, and I certainly wanted to speak to the thoracic surgical oncologist who was wonderful, by the way, wonderful. And I, I did meet with him. And when I did, he advised that there was more disease than they had anticipated. He did have an upper left lobectomy, a wedge resection of his lower left lobe. And when the pathology came back, we were a bit stunned because it came back showing large cell neuroendocrine cancer, which is a really rare and aggressive type of lung cancer. Right. It only accounts for like 3% of all lung cancers. Oh, it's not that many. Yeah. yeah, and it's a difficult one actually. So when people have, if people have been listening to all of the Lung Cancer Voices podcast, which I'm sure all our listeners have listened to every single episode because it's so <laughs> so great, we've talked about non-small cell lung cancers and we've talked about small cell lung cancers. Small cell typically aggressive, large cell neuroendocrine is a, is the cancer that kind of falls in between the stools, and and for a long time it was a it, it's really considered a subtype of non-small cell lung cancer but behaves in many ways more like a small cell lung cancer. And so it's been sort of this rare subtype, which we know can be aggressive and people have sometimes struggled to know what the most effective treatment is. So that would have been a bit of a surprise then. So he gets yes. the diagnosis, he's had his surgery, but because it's aggressive, then presumably chemotherapy is recommended at this point as a sort of mopping up exercise. And it was, and they did find additional disease in his other lung, as well as a bone metastasis. So he was, he was recommended six cycles of chemo, the autoposide and carboplatin. Yeah. His bone metastasis was radiated, not once, but twice. That was not an issue, but the chemo most certainly was an issue. He managed to have three cycles that started in April of 2020, but his white blood cell count just dipped it just dipped and he suffered renal injury. So the chemo had to stop, unfortunately. Right. And he had to start hemodialysis. And, and that's when I started to become so concerned, so concerned about the management of his cancer. So that's when I made a request to his medical oncologist, knowing that this was a rare subtype, the chances of, of treating his cancer with something else was just not very possible. So right. I kindly requested that a sample of his tumor be sent along for genomic profiling. Right. And, uh, you have, and you have a good medical oncologist there who's a friend of the show, yeah. 
Yes, she's wonderful. She's wonderful, wonderful, compassionate, um, highly skilled, and so patient-centric. And interestingly, you know, so with these large cell neuroendocrine cancers, it's it's not, well, sorry, can I just go back a bit? Because I don't want to alarm people to kind of walk away thinking that chemotherapy is going to push you into dialysis. No. You should just kind of point out that that's a really unusual, yes. really unusual complication, really unfortunate. Um, the chemotherapy can affect people's kidneys. So can, this so, was so, just... so, so can Advil. And I don't want to kind of be flippant here and, and compare chemo with Advil, but for chemotherapy to cause kidney damage to put someone in dialysis is really uncommon. So if, if you're listening to this and you're going to, going to be going through chemotherapy, you know, you, you don't need to anticipate that those kind of things are common. But sorry, I just wanted to make that point. So let's move on. So you, the large cell neuroendocrine, we don't often historically haven't routinely done the molecular profiling, although it is becoming more widespread now. Mm -hmm. um, and the reason it's not been done is generally uncommon mutations are not not so often found in these, but, but you That's kind of struck gold, huh? I respectfully requested that a sample be tested nevertheless, because you just don't know unless you try. And his oncologist, Dr. Lael, was wonderful. She sent a, a sample to be tested. And to our surprise, an actionable mutation did come back. A KRAS G12C came back. Right. But, you know, just as we were flying high, we discovered that the clinical study did have an exclusion criteria. No elevated creatinine level. So there goes that. But I have to tell you, when a door closes, another one opens really nicely. My uncle was prescribed an immunotherapy, a PDL1 inhibitor, nivolumab. Mm -hmm. And that started in November of 2020. And to this day, he has responded remarkably well. This therapy has been, in my uncle's words, a godsend. His scans have been <laughs> fuzzy clear. And there has certainly been no new disease detected. We are beyond grateful, beyond overjoyed. His quality of life has been superb and he lives his life as though he was never diagnosed with cancer. That's fantastic. And um, we've seen immunotherapy turn around so many people's lives. And I'm gonna just throw out some things here. If people want to go back to some of the go to the Lung Cancer Canada website for the archive of all of the podcasts. And there are stories about immunotherapy. I'm just looking back at uh, episode 35, what's new in immunotherapy was one of them. There's been others about immunotherapy and people who've done really well from immunotherapy could also suggest people go to the presentation, the, the podcast, with, uh, oh gosh, Dr. Alex Drillon from uh, Memorial Sloan Kettering and, and the episode there, which was a uh, what's new in rare lung cancer subtypes. That was episode 44, where we talk about KRAS as well. So and there's some information about those. We should probably now do a new one on KRAS because it's all changing in a good way. Okay, so he's doing great on immunotherapy now, and that's wonderful. And I wanted to ask you, a question about your role as a caregiver, Philomena. When uh, we think about caregivers, there's lots of different roles that caregivers have to 
fulfill and it depends it's so variable from family to family and in, so in your case your uncle lives alone in other cases it might be that it's a spouse or someone in within the household you're fulfilling a, a caregiver role as, a, as the sort of information expert and helping with screening and with the 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 getting this additional testing that identified a mutation but your uncle is alone so who fulfills kind of other roles of helping with groceries or taking him to and from appointments are you doing that as well no so so i fulfill the role of the medical translator the information specialist the psychosocial expert for example which is in and of itself i'd like to think anyway or i believe a huge role. It's a huge role. And the caregiver really does take on many, many roles in the course of the cancer patient's journey. But I'm very blessed to say that my uncle has two siblings who have also assumed additional roles. So when it comes to transportation, for example, for other medical appointments, because he does have additional ailments, conditions that have to be serviced. He has my uncle Ralph, for example, when he has to go to the pharmacy, he'll pick up his meds, taking care of the condominium. He has my Aunt Anna, the financial specialist role and advisor. My Aunt Anna takes care of that. We have a very loving, supportive family, and we rally the troops to take care of meal preparations because he wasn't able to do that when he was on chemo, for example. So we come together and we support him in a very loving, in a very loving way. And he is so grateful. And my uncle will not turn to anyone unless it's absolutely necessary, which is why I try to check in on him as much as I possibly can. Like just reviewing the portal notes, the patient portal notes, that is in and of itself, you know, <laughs> a task. Well, we were talking just as before we, before we started recording, we, weren't, we were talking about this, this line, it takes a village. Mm -hmm. And you have a family where it sounds like you very effectively divided up roles to support your uncle whether it's you doing it or whether his siblings taking on these different roles. What tips would you give people listening, Philomena, if there are caregivers listening or, or, or patients who don't know how to ask for help or not quite sure what they would, you know, what they might, you know, that they don't know what they don't know kind of thing. What, what, what tips would you give for caregivers or patients who, who could ask for some help with something? Yeah, so I can tell you what it is that I've learned going through the lung cancer journey as a caregiver. So lung cancer, including a rare and aggressive form of lung cancer does not have to be an immediate death sentence. And advocacy is important, it's imperative. And I would strongly recommend that if you don't have a Philomena in your, in your life or in your family, please reach out to Lung Cancer Canada for that support, that evidence-based information, and most of all, advocacy, because it will most certainly make the world of difference in your care trajectory. And truthfully, if you, even if you do have a Philomena in your family, reach out to Lung Cancer Canada anyway. They'll make the world of difference because they are the lung cancer experts. 
and will provide you with the tools that you require as you navigate the healthcare system and the management of the disease. I promise you, you won't regret it. I know I had to reach out to them when I was so frail and ill from my first affliction of COVID. They were wonderful and they assisted me with great competence and compassion with respect to my uncle's care. I was so, so very appreciative. And, and the other thing that I would say is when you're advocating, don't leave any stone unturned. Genomic profiling right now is accomplishing remarkable things in helping to identify those mutations or alterations that can potentially make a difference in additional treatment options for a patient's care. That's what I would say. I like when you say if you don't have a Philomena because because most families won't have in their sort of caregiver network somebody who runs an, a national cancer charity like <laughs> like you do. You know, I, I think it's it's nice it's nice for you to give a shout out to Lung Cancer Canada, but I think the point is well taken that that there are resources out there to support patients and caregivers. And of course, you know, this podcast is through Lung Cancer Canada and we have a lot of resources and people can go to the lungcancercanada.ca website where there's information, there's these podcasts and these sort of educational things. But, you know, for example, our Airways of Hope program where there's social worker support and online support groups, peer-to-peer program where, you know, people can talk to others who have been through a similar similar story. So uh, there are very pragmatic ways there's, and there's lots of in, just general information uh, and we can connect you with people. So so thank you for giving a shout out to us. And that, that's why we exist, isn't it? That's why we exist as Lung Cancer Canada and the Colorectal Cancer Research and Action Network, your charity, you know, is these reasons. I could read out your mission statement. I've got it here. It's the most trusted colorectal cancer and patient, patient and caregiver support education and advocacy network. We actively support patients and caregivers by providing evidence-based information. And, and, it, and it continues, but it, you know, so that's why we exist. Absolutely. Uh, do, do reach out. Philomena, thank you so much for giving up your time. And I should thank your uncle as well for consenting for you to share his story and we will well maybe we could ask you back on in a couple of years and uh get an update that would be my absolute pleasure (laughs) great and if so well you're welcome it's a pleasure to have you on and for people listening if there's anything here that of course resonates with you and you have further questions, please reach out to either us here at Lung Cancer Canada or to your own uh, your own healthcare team. Um, but with that, otherwise, thank you very much and uh, come back for the next pod. Thanks to our producer, Ryan Mullen. Please send us your feedback, like and follow us on Facebook at Lung Can, on Twitter at Lung Cancer underscore Can, and on Instagram at Lung Cancer Canada. For more information about lung cancer or to donate, volunteer or share your story, visit our webpage at lungcancercanada.ca.